Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man who keeps a Canadian shaman on speed dial. Here is the captain. And I keep Canadian bacon in my pants. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Today, today, this week, we are still drinking some more of this beautiful brew crime beer that was made in collaboration with yours truly with True Crime Garage and our great friends at Tactical Brewing Company. Thank you to everyone who came out to Tactical last Friday to see the Colonel and hang out with me. We had a great time. I love each and every one of you. Make sure you show your love to Tactical Brewing Company for being such good friends with us here in the garage and visit them at tacticalbeer.com. Five out of five bottle caps. Let's give some thanks and praise to our friends that helped us fill up the fridge this week. First up, a shout out to Eric R. from right on Lake Michigan. And last but certainly not least, a double-fisted cheers to the True Crime Garage grannies listing all the way over in the UK. Cheers to everyone for helping out and showing your continued support to our little garage show. Yeah, B-W-E-W-R-U-N. Beer Ron, you know you made it when you have a beer. Make sure you follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at True Crime Garage. And Colonel, that's enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. A year after Susan Taraskowitz's murder, Sue's mom, Marlene, could finally bring herself to go through Susan's things. This is when she found a journal authored by her daughter, and inside it contained horrific entries. Again, according to the UPI, the diary detailed almost daily incidents of harassment and her efforts to report them to the company. So these are detailed writings about incidents that took place at her workplace at sue's workplace of harassment that she endured and her efforts to attempt to report them to her higher ups at the company well i think that what this does for the investigation is we know or we've heard rumors about the harassment about the conflicts at work but now we have a detailed report so now it's going to give us some suspects to look into And keep in mind, the evidence at the scene where her body is found in the vehicle, her vehicle, that her body's found in the trunk, that evidence didn't lead police to any suspects of note. It's only going to be this discovery of this journal, this diary, that will eventually lead them to suspects. And we're going to see immediately why right now. We have her family, Susan's family. They're so disturbed and shocked by the revelations of what Susan endured at work that in March of 1994, so remember she's killed in 92, in September of 92. In March of 1994, her family filed a complaint on Susan's behalf. The complaint alleged that the airline and its employees' labor union had done nothing to stop this ongoing harassment. 
But they also had another goal besides just avenging the unacceptable workplace behavior. They hoped that the complaint would then, there's going to be an investigation that will take place based off of their complaint that would have nothing to do with the murder or the murder investigation. But they're hoping that investigation would help to flush out information about who killed their loved one. And remember, we finished yesterday's show by saying her family believed 100% that her death, her murder was connected to her workplace. Yeah, I think there's two schools of thought. One, did she go out to her vehicle? Was she attacked there? Did she get into her vehicle and go to pick up these sandwiches and get attacked over there by a random stranger? Or was this a planned attack? by somebody that she was having conflicts at work. I think if this crime took place today, the first thing they would have done is round up everybody on that shift, anybody that she had a conflict with, and collect DNA. The Massachusetts Commission Against Discrimination, the MCAD, investigated this complaint filed by Susan's family. The MCAD reviewed the writings in Susan's journal and testimony affidavits of five Northwest employees, including two men, which stated the following. A giant lewd character of Susan was scrawled on the inside cargo hold of a Northwest plane where Susan would be guaranteed to see it. The drawing was sexually explicit with her legs spread wide and was clearly intended to demean and degrade her. Other findings include these graffiti around the airport's cargo areas mentioned Susan's performing oral sex. There was a drawing of a coffin with her name on it that was left in the women's bathroom. There were words like slut, bitch, and whore that were scrawled with her name. Well, not her official name, but remember many people called her Sue, just simply S-U. Right. And so these horrible words, they're written on walls in graffiti or written on walls in the restrooms with her name, Sue T, attached to it. So not exactly her name, but it doesn't take an Einstein to figure out this is somebody saying terrible stuff about this woman. Yeah, and this is very bizarre to me. I've never worked in a workplace that this kind of activity took place. Well, it gets, it gets stranger, man. Like there's female undergarments and tampons that were commonly scattered around the break room, the employee break room, and even hung from the ceiling. The break room was littered with pornographic magazines, including nudie posters, uh, taped to the fridge. Male workers, including a supervisor would expose themselves there's at least one report of, of some of a male employee or supervisor peeing in people's drinks. Yeah. I mean, this is, I mean, it's, I've had people that have severely not liked other coworkers, but would not waste their time or their energy on doing things like this. This is when I go, if I'm an employee, first off, I'm, I couldn't be out the door faster, but yeah, once I hear about you, pissing and drinks uh, captain's gone but then on top of that and i'm not faulting sue for sticking with this job i mean 
Her journal is detailing her attempts to report these items or efforts to say, hey, there's something bad going on at this workplace. And maybe her being a good person, a good natured person thought that the problems would eventually go away if she took the right steps, the steps that she was probably told to do. Hey, you know, file a complaint with this, file a complaint with that. But that's a problem sometimes with with unions, though, is they're set up to protect you, but they're also set up to to protect your coworkers. But you see this kind of behavior, and I'm sitting there. If I'm an employee, going, "You're kidding me! I have to pay into a union, and this is what I have to witness at work." Yeah, or, or to be I'm afraid somebody's going to piss in your drink. I mean, come on. There, first of all, there's, and I get it. It's 1992, 1990. You know, the, this stuff, according to the <laughs> yeah. the wilder times, the journal starts taking place in 1989. And no, and I'm I'm not saying that that's why I get it. I'm just I. There will be somebody that will email me and say, "Hey, man, it was a different time." It's like I, I don't know. I wasn't old enough to work back then, but I can say this: like I don't think that pornography is is should be in the no. workplace at any time anywhere. And I mean, unless you're in the pornography business, then that, right, and then, then it should be everywhere. Then it should be everywhere. But I mean, this stuff, dude. I when we started to go through this. I couldn't believe what I was reading. And at first I had, I was like, this has to be embellished. Yeah. Exaggerated. And no, there's five, there's five other, she journaled about it. There's five other employees that were willing to testify and sign sworn affidavits that this is what I witnessed when I worked there. Yeah. Cause I could see, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that something happens where somebody didn't get a job, they feel like they got screwed over, and they drew a character, you know, obscene character somewhere in the office, and then she saw it, got upset, and that's that's the end of that. But for it to continue and then to escalate and then to have managers that are exposing themselves. Yeah. And then you have a situation. There was one report of Susan having been shoved to the ground by another employee. Um, there is some thought by these individuals that signed the affidavits and that were giving uh, uh, statements for this harassment investigation that states that it is their belief I'm not saying all five because I've not been able to review all the statements here, but at least one of these individuals believed that because Susan filed complaints about these other grievances, that she was assigned to work the lav truck for a period of time, emptying the toilets for a period of time in a way that like you can punish a person without it being obvious that you're punishing a person. We're going to make you work third shift. And by the way, you need to empty out the pee-pee and poo-poo. There were a couple female employees that gave anonymous affidavits because they were worried about some kind of retaliation for giving statements, but at least one of them said, quote, I often saw Sue crying at work. Several statements said that the women were told by the union representatives to not rock the boat. Uh, Susan's diary apparently said that she, that when Sue complained about the harassment, both unofficially and in the form of official complaints filed with the airline, she was told to just let it go, you know, just, just roll with it. 
take the high road and, you know, look away. And what she should have done is just rolled her ass out to her car and never looked back because sometimes you can't fix stupid. So I was really hoping to put be able to put some actual names to some of this harassment, right? Mm-hmm. Who was the one conducting or behaving this way? And who specifically seem to be targeting Susan, our victim, right? We don't want any of this harassment to happen at the workplace at all. But for the sake of this week's case, the what's most important is what was happening to Susan and who was administering that. Yeah. So here is one incident where we do actually get a name. So there, this is referred to as the radio incident. This involved a coworker who Sue had briefly dated. Now, that's the only knowledge I have, briefly dated. I don't know if that meant like one date, two dates, went out together, were known as a couple for a couple months. I, I don't know the extent of that. But apparently what happened is that we do know that things turned sour between them at some point. And it is stated that this individual, his name is Bobby Brooks, it's stated that he's one of the worst offenders in terms of his treatment of Sue at work. So let's well, talk. It sounds about- like a jackass. Like if I was going to write a character and, you know, from the eighties and go John Hughes movie, I, I need a jackass character, Bobby Brooks. So there's this radio incident and mm-hmm. the way that Sue described the radio incident in her diary, she dated it April 12th, 1989. Bobby came into the break room. And she wrote that Bobby picked up and dropped, purposely picked up and dropped her radio violently onto a table. And then he looks at her and says that he was mad because the Bruins lost. And Susan's diary entry continues saying, quote, he left the room and one of my coworkers picked up the radio and plugged it in to see if it still worked. Bobby came back into the room. And this time he ensured that the radio would be broken by throwing it hard against the break room wall. Sue, of course, anybody would be upset about this situation. You have your personal property destroyed for no reason at all by this meathead that you work with. Right. But Sue is especially upset about this because her mother gave her this radio for Christmas for as a gift. And so this is, you know, you take take the radio to work. You have something to listen to in the background while you're working. And this man destroys your personal property. Well, to me, if I'm law enforcement, I'm looking at this as a, that's to me, a violent threat. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, I can't get physical with you because you're a woman. And so people would look down upon that or, or maybe instantly get fired or whatever, but I'll break this. And if they come to me and say, well, why did you do this? I'll claim it's an accident, but to me, this is, this is a violent threat. Well, and here's something that, that is a violent threat as well here, captain. So Sue has a boyfriend at the time. He's also an airport employee and he demands, tells Bobby that he has to replace the broken radio, the radio that Bobby broke. Yeah. I'm going to, you replace the radio or I'm going to break your face. Of course, Bobby being a raging dickhead did not replace the radio. So Sue then later reminds him, Hey, you owe me a radio. I thought you were going to replace this radio. 
And according to her diary, when she tells him, reminds him to buy her a radio, he says, his response is, what are you going to do? Send your punk boyfriend over here again? Is he going to beat me up? He's lucky I didn't kill him. See, again, violent threat. I hope if this guy didn't end up going to jail, I hope, and if he had children, I hope one of them's listening and they're hearing, that's my father. And wow, what a giant pile of shit he is. Because this is, this is no way to treat anybody. There are some other situations where we do have persons that are named. So this is in April of 1989, and this is when Sue attempts to break up a fist fight that's going on between an individual. His name is Joseph Nuzo. And in case I'm not saying that correctly, Captain, it's N-U-Z-Z-O. And this seems to have sparked some trouble between Joseph and Sue going forward. In fact, there's a situation where he it's reported that he very loudly cussed her out at the workplace. So who was he fighting? Do we have an idea of who he was in doing the fisticuffs with? No, but the interesting thing here probably is probably Bobby. Well, the one thing we should know is that Bobby Brooks and Sue, what we do know is they actually, and I'm guessing this is based off of what their job duties were in the departments that they worked in, but it is of note that they actually had very little interaction with one another with a few exceptions. And we know of those exceptions because they are recorded in her diary and then backed up by the statements of some of these other workers. Right. So these two really actually didn't interact very much at all at work together. And then this Joseph Nuzo individual, I don't know who he's fighting against, but it wouldn't be uncommon for if there were to be some kind of disagreement that gets to this point where people were up in each other's faces. A fist fight is always a very vague description to me. You would think that it actually means fists are being thrown, but a lot of times there can be just a pushing, just a crowd of people. Uh, but it wouldn't be uncommon for the person breaking up this situation to be the boss or the supervisor. Right. But what it seems like is he then has a problem with her for breaking this situation up. There's no mention of these other individuals because I don't think they, I think they probably expected whatever was happening to be broken up. They're probably happy that they weren't fired for that kind of behavior at work. Yeah. This case is so bizarre. So Joseph, because of this fist to cuffs, because he cursed out his boss, his superior, he gets a little vacation. He gets a little suspension from work. The old enforced impromptu vacation from work. Now, we do need to note that during the time that he is away from work on this suspension, Susan's vehicle was keyed. Her tires were slashed. There were anonymous crank phone calls that came to her home. Uh, there were some phone calls that came to the home that said that, uh, that, that, that they were seeking revenge. And it's hard to know because she was having conflicts with other individuals. It's hard to know if this was Joseph doing this or not. 
Yeah, it, but it seems like it's. Yeah, it sounds to me, Captain, like it's. There's not 100% proof that Joseph Nuzo did all of this stuff, but it sounds like there's a pretty strong argument against him and a pretty good uh, group that agrees that, yes, he was the one doing these actions. So she was having conflicts with him. She was having conflicts with uh, Bobby. Was there anybody else that we know of? So here, here's one thing that I think makes this a little bit difficult. We do have Bobby Brooks, who we know had a problem with Sue, and it, that was clear. He broke the radio. He harassed her. But then we have the situation with Joseph Nuzo, and according to Bobby Brooks, Joseph Nuzo tells him that in regard to Susan that, oh, he will get his revenge. I will get revenge against Susan. Right. The problem with that is it, it's like one bad guy pointing at the other bad guy, right? right. Two, two people that, that should be suspects. You got one pointing at the other saying, well, he told me that he would get his revenge against Susan. And remember, she started her job five years ago, and it seems like for the whole five years, there there was almost like an escalation of this type of behavior at her work. And like we said, we see these drawings. We have these people breaking items, cursing her out at work. I think, a, a, like I said, a, a violent threat when you're breaking her personal belongings, but also kind of a threat when you see a coffin yeah. with, with her name on it. But then there's also actual verbal death threats exactly the the report on this is a little loose so i want to be careful on how we report it but from my understanding captain remember we said earlier that usually when there's conflicts amongst people there people naturally choose a side they'll pick a side not everybody but most people do and in this situation seems to be no different so sue did have her supporters at work you know, people that witness this and people that, you know, she's being unfairly treated. These people are harassing her. This isn't right. We have her back. And those people later told the Boston Herald that because we made it known that we support her, that we received threats, some stating death threats from the people that had chose the other side. That's crazy. Now, we did see reports that Sue's car and her friend's vehicles were vandalized. In fact, in the months before Susan's death, Sue filed two more complaints with the union. This is the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers. The first complaint was for unfair treatment in the awarding of the supervisory assignments. We talked about that briefly yesterday. Right. The second complaint was because her vehicle was vandalized in the lot where she parked it while at work at the airport. According to the Boston Globe, her car was vandalized after she filed the first complaint, but it was unclear whether this occurred because she filed the complaint. The union source told the Globe her car was messed up. They scratched the paint, end quote. This had moved way beyond simple workplace harassment. This is systemic bullying escalating to property damage intimidation and trying to instill fear 
in a coworker or a boss. And shame on the union, though, because she is making complaints. They're hearing about this harassment. It's like there's this inferno. There's this fire taking place at work, and they're doing nothing to put it out. And look where all that bullying and all that harassment led to or possibly led to. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story. It takes you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. You'll step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. Use your observation skills to quickly uncover key pieces of information that lead to chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. And customize your very own luxurious estate island. Think expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. Collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. And You can chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. All right, we are back. Cheers, mates. Cheers to you, Colonel, onward and upward. I'm going to file several grievances about my workplace here. Well, I did piss in your coffee, so. In November of 1989. Tinkle, tinkle. The union received several letters from one of Susan's coworkers. His name is Christopher. He's known as Kip uh, Hedges. In these letters, he also complained of being harassed at work. And 
one of these incidents, he says, included somebody drew a pistol target with 11 bullet holes in it taped to a refrigerator. They, they drew this and they taped it to the refrigerator in the break room. And above the target with the 11 bullet holes, it said, kill hedges. He stated that a tiny gang of workers had developed a pattern of violence and threats at the workplace. So he, he writes this letter and then in filings with the MCAD, Mr. Hedges asserted that he too had been assaulted by this Joseph Nuzo. He said for what reason he did not know why this worker, co-worker would assault him. Right. After receiving the letters from Christopher Hedges, the union says it held an open meeting on the issue of tensions among employees. So there, there are... They are stating here that, yes, we identified that there were tensions among employees. And what they did, Captain, was they later published an article in their newsletter. Nobody reads the work newsletter. Nerd. <laughs> but in an article. In well, then I'm going to start. I'm going to stop writing one every week. So later, the union published an article in its newsletter condemning sexual harassment and workplace intimidation. That should go without saying, but glad that they put that in print for us. Yeah, exactly. But what I'm getting at is that's all they're going to do when you have multiple employees, multiple members of your union trying to point out, hey, there's some really severe problems here at this workplace. They're like, oh, you know what? Don't worry. We got it under control. We're going to write an article in the newsletter to straighten everything out. Yeah, we have people pissing in coffee. I'm sure these these words are going to they're going to sink right to their heartstrings. And it's not just women that are complaining. Like you said, there's men complaining. And it's, again, stupid or lazy. Like why why aren't they doing their job? I think they did their job, Captain. They issued a standard memo <laughs> condemning sexual harassment. They, they they that's the champion I want to work for. So that's kind of a long way around to get back to the point that Susan's family filed a lawsuit for the harassment that she did face that nobody basically tried to stop. Nobody did anything about, and she had to live in this tortured environment. They sue the company and they win. Yeah, that that's the short of it. And that's a good way to sum this up because there's really a lot that you could tear through here and it will kind of muck up our story, but good by the Massachusetts commission against discrimination because they did their investigation and goodbye, Susan's parents and family to come up with this idea and this strategy that, look, you know, we refuse to, to understand that our daughter was treated unfairly. It may or may not have anything to do with her murder, but we refuse to not right this wrong. And so they took this complaint to the MCAD. And later, this would be 1995, Captain, that the MCAD, they ruled in Susan's favor and in her family's favor. They said that they found very compelling evidence that Northwest had failed to protect Susan from the harassment she suffered at the hands of her colleagues. Yeah, but this lawsuit's not going to bring back their loved one. Somebody murdered her, placed her in her trunk 
and left the vehicle. What it did do, Captain, Northwest Airlines then agreed to settle with the family, with Susan's family, for $75,000. But on top of that, and you would hope that this would have led somewhere, but here we are talking about this case so many years later. But they did agree, Northwest Airlines did agree to post a $250,000 reward for information leading to Susan's killer and to establish a scholarship in her name. At the time, at that time, this amounted to the largest sexual harassment award the commission had ever dealt with. A spokesman for the airline said to the Boston Globe, quote, we are with the parents entirely to help find who did this to their daughter, end quote. Only after they were forced to be, of course, we kind of remind everybody of that, only after they were forced to be. It was a bit of a hollow victory, let's say, for the family because it didn't, as you pointed out, didn't bring Susan back, never could bring Susan back. But at least there would be some headway in Susan's murder investigation. Well, and this is probably goes without saying, but if you're in a situation where you're being harassed at work, and the people that are supposed to help protect you and are supposed to help make it be at least a place that you feel safe. You know, looking back on my life now, as, as we talk about this case, there's one or two times that I was working a job, man, I should have left months before I did because once the person that is bullying you sees that there's no consequence, it just gets worse. Yeah. They can act with impunity. Yeah, and life is just way too short. So, you know, and and that's, but some of that is self-care, self-love. If I cared about myself enough, if if I would have loved myself enough that maybe I would have said, this is not correct and nobody's helping me here and it's just a job and it's time to move on. Right, but why was Susan killed? Okay, was it the harassment, cover up the harassment, or somebody just, just, had it in for her so bad that they had to get rid of her. I think people can see avenues to that idea real quick, but the harassment is actually just the tip of the iceberg into potential motives here, especially potential motives. When we talk about persons or suspects from her workplace. So there was something else going on at the time. This is a lot of criminal activity on a much grander scale. And was Susan aware of this? Had she witnessed something? Was she privy to some information that could get some people into some severe trouble here? So remember, Susan was in charge of the baggage handlers. And what's going on at this time? U.S. mail bags pass through Logan Airport every day. And those mail bags back then included brand new credit cards shipped by the banks to their users in the Boston and around the Boston area. In 1991, a federal investigation by the Secret Service and the Massachusetts State Police and the U.S. Postal Service was launched into a massive theft of credit card investigation from U.S. mailbags at the Logan Airport. Eventually, the credit card theft probe revealed that $7 million in stolen credit cards had been lifted from that airport, from the Logan Airport. Well, that's a motive. And so how many people were involved 
in this. Well, the thing is, is I don't think there's any mention of this in her diary or the journals of the complaints that she was making, but that doesn't matter. If the person is suspicious that you possibly know, that's all they need to know to have the motive to try to take you out. If that makes any sense. Well, exactly. And what we end up learning, and this is from the wall street journal is that the thieves were using the computers at Northwest to go through the mail. And then eventually what they're doing is they're ripping open sealed mail where they believe that there are credit cards in there. And as we said, there was enough theft going on and theft of these credit cards that it eventually racked up $7 million in fraudulent charges. So the possibilities that we've laid out so far is that she heads out on her lunch break and she is met with a stranger at some point. The other possibility is because of this harassment at work, somebody has it out, has a vendetta against Susan. The other possibility is there is criminal activity done by one or multiple people. And if they were suspicious to believe that Susan knew more than they wanted her to know, that that would be a motive for this crime as well. And... I'm going to throw in a couple of other suspects here before we get to one. I want to point out the idea that the harassers and the thieves could be one in the same or a couple that were involved in both. Right. Had multiple motives. Now this is interesting too. Some of the, the cards that were sold, they're stolen and then they're sold to a fence in a nearby town of Revere. Sound familiar? That's the same town where Susan's body was found for 10% of their available credit. So there's a little bit of a connection there. Now, others were used by the actual airport workers to buy merchandise such as camcorders and expensive items. That's not real smart because they're going to be easily traced back to those individuals that are working at Logan Airport. But there were some aspects to this that were a, a, that point out that it was a well thought out criminal enterprise. So what we have here, captain, the thieves stole the credit cards and then generated fake driver's licenses to match the names on the cards. They then used the activated cards to buy jewelry and obtain cash advances in casinos in Vegas, Atlantic city and Foxwoods, but much more than just credit card theft. And fraud was at play here. According to the Boston Globe, the plot involved a mafia-like corrupt organization which had its hands in loan sharking, drugs, betting, and fraud. The ring was rooted in the Orient Heights section of East Boston. In fact, that newspaper reported that much illegal activity occurring at Logan Airport was mob-sanctioned. A secret service agent worked undercover at the Northwest Terminal during the credit card fraud investigation and gathered evidence of illegal activity connected to the mafia and controlled by organized crime extending to the North Shore of Boston. And here is where we tie it back to some of Susan's harassers. In April through August of 1992, a federal grand jury looked into the credit card theft ring. 
On August 4th, several baggage handlers received subpoenas from the grand jury. According to several sources, the baggage handlers' grand jury testimony revealed that Joseph Nuzo believed that Sue had either told the police about the scheme or planned to help them ferret out the masterminds. Nuzo told your boy Bobby Brooks that he believed Sue was, quote, the rat. The government had hard evidence showing that in August of 1992, just after Nuzo and Brooks and other credit card thieves had learned that federal agents were on to them, Nuzo stated that he bet Sue was the snitch or the rat. That's August of 1992. Susan is killed in September of 1992. Yeah, coincidence? I, I think not, my friend. But Nuzo, one of the harassers, one of the people that Susan got into, at least, well, one time she was cursed out by this individual, the one that had a suspension, and we thought maybe during that suspension he was vandalizing her vehicle, but he later on was fired. Yeah, he's fired in August, uh, actually August 14th of 1992. And that's why I wanted to point out early on when we started talking about the details of this case, where her vehicle was found in close proximity to that bar that was frequented by a bunch of the employees at that Logan Airport. Now, I can't tie Nuzo to that specific bar or being one of the persons that frequented that bar, but it's interesting to me because you brought up the idea, and, I, and rightfully so, it's on everybody's mind, how many killers were involved or how many people set her up? How many people did it take to orchestrate what we do know did in fact happen? What we do know, based off of what the police tell us, is they believe, and I, th- there's no reason for them to tell us this if, if they don't have evidence to suggest this, they believe that she was killed elsewhere. Well, if she was killed elsewhere, she did not drive her vehicle to where it was later found. Somebody else did. And either they walked away or somebody picked them up. Did they walk back to that bar, catch a ride with somebody that couldn't be at work anymore? Or did somebody that wasn't at work that night pick up the driver of that vehicle? I mean, you can see how this plays out. And now we start to bring and pull identified individuals into the suspect spotlight. Yeah, so this is where it gets a little tricky. Because of her journal, we we know that she obviously knew about the harassment and the bullying, and she knew who was doing it, and she could tell us who did what and when. There is no evidence that we can find that Sue knew what was going on as far as the credit card stealing. Correct. There's there's not proof positive that she absolutely knew. Uh, you would think that she probably had some idea that something strange or fishy was going on. I mean, she it's a large operation, and she's in a supervisor role. So it's going on right under her nose, essentially. Uh, One thing that was reported here, Captain, that is of interest that would indicate maybe she knew something was going on was the investigation. One thing that it yielded was that when they were divvying up the credit cards after 
illegally ripping them out of the mail, that this typically would take place in the break room, lunch hours. She leaves for lunch to pick up lunch for people, but also one of her uh, tasks, if you will, as a supervisor was she would make assignments, including the baggage handlers, as well as regulate their lunch hours, their 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 break hours of the workers. Right. So did this, once she, remember, she got the new promotion shortly before she disappears for 24, 30 hours and then is found dead. So given this new power, this new authority, did she somehow shake up and make it so that the players involved in the scheme were not on break together at the same time, not in the break room together at the same time? Well, that's what I was saying to you off mic is we don't know if she knew. Right. But that doesn't matter. If somebody, a part of this plan, thinks she knows, then that's a motive to get rid of her. And it could have been as simple as she gets in control and decides, hey, I'm going to shake things up a little bit by switching people's lunch, switching people's lunch schedules. And she might not even known that by doing so, that foils their operation. And, and so if they go, hey, is there any way to get me back on this uh, schedule or this one? And she says, no, this is just the way it is. Again, that's, that's a, you're stealing millions of dollars. Yeah, that's that is motive enough. Whether she knows or not that she's foiling our operation, we have to get rid of her. Yeah, and here's the thing: the credit card theft and fraud ring. Sorry, and here's the thing: the credit card theft and fraud ring was a massive operation. Eventually, thirty-seven people were convicted on federal charges related to this $7.5 million corrupt enterprise. Ten of them were Northwest employees, including some baggage handlers. Five Northwest baggage handlers had been indicted as of September of 1993. This is Christopher Sweeney, Cleve Fedrick, Thomas Cooney, Richard Bart, and Richard Raymond. It also makes you wonder because these people are in cahoots together and they have financial means. Do you place a hit on her and, hey, we'll be at work when this takes place. So none will be the wiser. According to the UPI, four specific baggage handlers Susan had expressly named as her harassers were among those convicted in the fraud case. One of the men who would be convicted in the federal case, in fact, the mastermind behind the whole thing was Joseph Nuzo. He had started the operation shortly after returning to work after his suspension brought about partially by Susan's testimony. And don't think we haven't forgot about old shit-stained Bobby Brooks because he was indicted as well. Yeah, convicted. He was a peripheral player. It seems like he himself did not steal any of the charge cards, but he was caught shopping with Joseph Nuzo using the stolen cards and he, he played, he definitely played a role in this because he was in fact convicted on some of the charges. 
Well, the harassment also seems just, it just seems like over the top. Like I said, I've never experienced that kind of level of bullying. I mean, I've experienced some hostile workplaces, but I, you almost wonder if it was like a, a ruse by having all this harassment and all this tension at work that maybe you won't notice what else we're doing. Your hands will be so filled with this other nonsense that we bring to the table. But with all this going on at work, the harassment, this, I mean, this massive fraud that is happening, to me, it would lean more towards somebody that's in her inner circle that's responsible for her death. It'd be, it just seems like it would be too big of a coincidence that just some random attacker would, would attack her at work. Yeah, it's difficult because we are certainly missing some pieces of the puzzle. In fact, to this day, no one knows for sure whether Sue knew anything about the criminal activity at the North that the Northwest employees were involved in. It does seem crazy to think that she didn't know, though. Officials later said that a lot of people knew about what was going on. The number of people involved in the ring was close to 40, as we pointed out. And Sue's friend, Deb, who we've talked about previously said that one day shortly before her death, Sue told her that she was afraid. Now of what Sue did not say, it seems likely. And Deb letter later says that looking back in retrospect, that she just thought that she was afraid to stand up for herself and file complaints about the harassment. But now she looks back and wonders did Sue know some something else? Did she know more? Was she saying she was afraid for her life? In 2002, investigators decided to re-examine this case, including retesting any evidence. I'm guessing, hopefully, physical evidence that was found in her vehicle. At this time, the police decided to release photos of Sue's missing necklace in case someone recognized the medallions. One of the biggest gnawing questions is where was Susan murdered? This according to the district attorney. Now, they do not believe that Sue was killed in her car, which means she was taken somewhere else, bound, beaten, stabbed before she was dumped at that Bravo mechanic location found in the trunk of her car. In 2008, Northwest merged with Delta Airlines. Delta has pledged to honor that $250,000 reward that Northwest originally offered for information in Sue's case. Massachusetts State Police say they are still actively working Sue's case, and they have significant leads. Well, and with this case happening, what, over 30 years ago, you wonder what evidence they have to possibly test with new technology. That's exactly right, Captain. And we're told that they're keeping this investigation alive. God bless her mother because we know that she's been out front actively keeping this investigation very much alive and very much on the minds of the general public. They did put up some billboards with uh, not only a picture of Susan, but also a picture of her blue Toyota Tercel and asking people, did you see... Susan, or did you see the vehicle or both 
on the night in question, September 12th, September 13th. Did you see this vehicle? The other thing, too, we don't know exactly when the vehicle was placed there in the lot. As we said, there's roughly about 30 hours that expired from the time it's believed that she was last seen until the time that the vehicle was discovered. Last year in 2022, the state police made the following statement, quote, we make a plea to anyone who can help us cross the last few miles of this marathon investigation. If you have any information about Susan's murder or the person or people who may have been involved, please contact us. Whatever reason you had for remaining silent until now does not matter anymore. Time passes and people change. Maybe you were scared. Maybe you were protecting someone. Or maybe you just did not want to get involved in a police investigation. Yet time passes and people change. So too do priorities. And the reasons for keeping quiet maybe don't seem so important anymore. Not when compared to the chance to do the right thing before it's too late. And it's not too late. Anyone with such information is asked to call the State Police Detective Unit for Suffolk County at 617-727-8817. Thanks to each and every one of you for joining us here in the garage again this week. If you are a member of law enforcement and you would like for True Crime Garage to feature a case from your jurisdiction, please find our contact information on our website, truecrimegarage.com. Colonel, do we have a recommended reading for the beautiful listeners? This week, Captain, we are recommending Without a Trace. And this is largely in part because this book And the case featured in this book, the fight of the victim's mother reminds me so much of the case that we featured here in the garage this week. You're going to want to check this one out. It's an oldie, but a goodie. The case is fascinating, but the most fascinating part is the courage and the strength that we all can get from being witness to this woman's fight for her missing daughter. Back in 1974, 17-year-old Amy Billig left her home to meet a friend for lunch and vanished, and her mother spent decades searching for her daughter. You're going to want to check out this book. It's called Without a Trace. You can find that great title and many more other wonderful recommendations on our recommended page on our website, truecrimegarage.com. And until next week, be good, be kind, and don't let it